G'day mate, Forty here. Probably wondering what's in the New York Times. So here I am in Rosecutters Bay in Sydney's eastern suburbs. I see Trump v. Posey test, no special counsel can pass. So former President Donald J. Trump, right? He's planning to announce soon he's going to run for president of the United States. So this is challenging Attorney General Merrick Garland's desire to show the Justice Department can operate above partisanship. Do you really think that's Merrick Garland's desire? To show that they operate above partisanship? Or maybe his desire is to show, right? Many times we want to show things that we have no actual interest in embodying. So, Attorney General Merrick Garland, long said the Justice Department is up to the task of investigating former President Donald Trump. Merrick Garland wants to show the department can operate above partisanship, acting as neither the weapon nor the enemy of any president or party. But uh, given that the DOJ under Merrick Garland is thinking of naming another special prosecutor to go after Donald Trump, right, to handle any open criminal inquiries regarding to Mr. Trump, it just sounds to me like they, they're admitting they made a gigantic overreach with raiding his home in Mar-a-Lago. So, the former president faces a series of investigations. And isn't that true of Donald Trump since the 1920s? He's always managed to stay one step ahead of the sheriff, and including his handling of sensitive national security documents. So, yeah, the media keeps telling us how sensitive these national security documents are, but when you kind of read under the rhetoric, it sounds like they're memorabilia, and that this is really a battle over memorabilia. So a special counsel could theoretically shield the department from the perception that an investigation into Donald Trump is a partisan attack. Yeah, really? Really think that that's going to shield the department from scrutiny that it's just a partisan attack? also implies the Justice Department on its own cannot be trusted by all Americans to make decisions about holding Mr. Trump to account. Kind of weird phrasing. Right? There's no need for the Justice Department to be trusted by all Americans. I mean, does anyone really think that Merrick Garland and the DOJ is not a partisan Justice Department? So it's kind of weird, though, having a, would be a second special prosecutor in the past five years. And the Justice Department is afraid that Trump is going to undercut faith in the institution's ability to fairly investigate him. <laughs> so we've got a law professor who says our Justice Department is faced with one of its greatest challenges of his more than 250-year history. There's no reason under federal law that a former president cannot be indicted the nature of our politics has become so polarized there is no criminal investigation, no indictment, low legal action that won't be perceived as just another part of the poisonous partisan politics in the U.S. today. So look, if they had a case, don't you think they'd make it? Right? If they could make a case, they'd make the case. And they wouldn't worry about all this fine print. But they're worrying about all this fine print indicates they don't have a slam dunk case against Donald Trump. This guy is about to slide by the sheriff once again. Like for 50 years, he's been staying one step ahead of the sheriff. And it looks like he's going to pull it off one more time. It's kind of unbelievable. This guy 
is a ducker and diver of the first order. And if they mount a raid on his home, then they can't pull it, pull it off. And, and now they're thinking about a special prosecutor. Indicates that they haven't been too swift. Seems like Trump is going to squeeze by it yet again. Being used as a release valve? Is that kind of what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm actually saying. I'm saying he is being used, and I think willfully being used, Talking as a Nick downstream Quentin's. marketing channel. What, you know, what, this is one of these things, and it's one of the reasons, not the only one, but one of them that I kind of just, you know, broke the chains and just voted for Joe Biden and just endorsed it, is that I just want to break out of that system because I see what it is. But I was unusual, and there were a lot of people who absolutely hated me. Like, even if you talk to, to like, a white nationalist, and they talk about, you know, well, I love Hitler, and, you know, oh, I hate these politicians and democracy. All right, he can say all of that. What does he actually do on November 8th? He votes for the GOP. You know, like, you know, you're the patriotic alternative party. Do you really have a fundamentally different... So the patriotic alternative is the right-wing British uh, nationalist party. You're super into COVID stuff. You're super into Brexit. You're super into talking about crime, etc., etc. And so, like, why would the GOP or people around that want to dismiss all of these voters who are actually a large percentage of the population? I mean, I, after Charlottesville, there's these curious polls where it was like, I think the headline was like 8%, like 5% of America likes the alt-right, but 9% of America agree with them, or something like that. Like, we're still in single digits here. But that's a lot of people. And, yeah, and presumably, those are 20 million GOP voters or people who would vote for the GOP. Remember, the GOP also came alive um, post-1970s, when they started activating people who had never voted before. And particularly the evangelical Christians who had kind of set politics out to a degree. And then they kind of, then they got, and then maybe voted Democrat, if anything. And then they kind of got into the game with Reagan, actually. This has been happening for a very long time. So I don't think it's out of the question. I don't think that, you know, Mitch McConnell is going to, like, dedicate a million dollars from the Republican election fund to Nick Quintez or me or anyone like that. But, like, around the edges, can people kind of see this? And at the very least, does it play into that multi-level marketing system, which is the GOP? And the answer to that is yes. And the answer is, could I see him getting a million from Mitch McConnell somehow? Yeah, because yeah. his elections are razor close. So this is my yeah. point. I mean, this, this kid is going to keep me in a subversive buck until the money runs out. But if you're getting millions of dollars to be some weirdo <laughs> online, I mean... So these crazy Richard Spencer listeners think that uh, uh, Nick Fuentes is being funded by, you know, some dude with a Republican agenda. Like, Nick Fuentes has organic support. You just had to watch his show back in YouTube days to see the Super Chats roll in. This is like paranoid thinking. You know, who's going to turn that down? Not that many people. Right. Now, I think I think he is subversive from our perspective, but I don't. I I, I don't know. I, I kind of. Own... So who's the hour here? So one minute you hear Richard condemn white nationalism, next minute he talks hour as though he's part of it. So which is it, Richard? Are you in it or are you out of it? Was giving him the benefit of the doubt. I think that he was a. He's a Midwestern, um, you know, his parents didn't go to college, as he said. He's Catholic. He, he, I, I think he's, I think his general program is just basic bitch Republicanism. He actually, interestingly, opposed, it's some of those pretty hilarious 
making videos. His first videos online from like 2016, early 2016, were him uh, basically telling Trump to drop out so that, you know, um, a good principled conservative would come in. He's like, you know, we heard you, we heard you, all right, you know, there's a lot of anger out there, but that was Donald Trump, you got it, you got it from the best of Yeah, he was literally in high school at that point. But I mean, that's his background. I mean, when I was in high school, I was not doing anything approaching. I, I couldn't imagine joining young Republicans or whatever <laughs> it was. But, or you know, so... Like Republican type of thing. Yeah, he yeah, but he didn't go to college. I mean, yeah, because he went from here. But he's that but type. I, yeah, he's that type. I think that those those are his basic, you know, that's his basic philosophy. And he well, got red-pilled, and he also saw all the energy in the alt-right. I mean, think of how many kind of mainstream-ish people wanted to kind of, like, get a piece of me um, in 2016 up to 2018. It's like, oh, you know, who's... You know. Okay, everybody wants to get a piece of someone who's famous, powerful, charismatic, uh, in the public eye. Think of, like, rebel media as this ultimate kind of, like, grift station and something that sees where the energy is and tries to leech off it, etc. I mean, they, they did the trucker protests, they did COVID stuff, etc. You know, all those girls were, you know, God, texting me all over the place. And they were doing it for their own reasons. They... Poor Richard, I mean, how this guy suffered. All these girls texting him from all over the place. No man should have to endure this. They wanted to kind of like see this is where the energy is. Let, let's see how we tap into this. Yeah, we do. We do tend to go where the energy is. Right? That's part of the human condition. We all tend to orient towards the energy. We all tend to be attracted towards the energy. We all tend to bow down towards where the energy is. And how do you get energy? By getting on the same page with other people, creating a shared reality, and in effect marching in unison to create something together which forms a bond, which always forms an ethic. Right? You always get a morality when you form connections. And then when you get on the same page with people, you create energy. And that gives you the power to do things that you couldn't otherwise do. So it takes a tremendous amount of energy to achieve anything. And um, I am not useful to them anymore. And I think I'm kind of like, I'm taking the opposite turn of neck. I mean, I'm like, I, I want to actively be useless to you. <laughs> you cannot co-opt me. I can't, you know, nothing I say is going to lead to any person writing a check to the GOP. Yeah, I think you accurately described. So, what's going on with Deep Left Jerkle, right? He's forming his own, his own community, right? He's fundraising. It's uh, kind of curious to see where Deep Left Jerkle goes with all this. To be continued. G'day, mate, 40 here. So I notice with the more higher IQ end of the news discussion section, you get a lot of people talk about how depressed they are by the success of talentless hacks. You hear about Richard finding it's depressing that uh, Nick Fuentes is so popular or that Tim Pool is so popular. And I'm, I'm trying to understand that mindset. Like, I, I've never gotten depressed by the success of talentless hacks it's it's irrelevant to me I, I don't believe that uh, success is something that is parceled out according to merit according to intelligence you know, according to goodness according to clarity according to righteousness I was just kind of amusing why, why would anyone get depressed by the success of talentless hacks unless you're so incredibly self-absorbed 
that you believe all success in the world simply belongs to you. Or the other alternative is you're just completely disconnected from reality. And so you don't realize that success is not apportioned precisely on, on the basis of merit. So here's uh, Richard Spencer and company. He called me like perfunctory. He's like, what do you know about him? I was like, well, you know, I met him in 2016. He interviewed me. I actually talked to someone who, who was like, it's this weird mirror image that you're watching. And I, I, I think someone, someone who's a journalist actually told me this in terms of Tempool. And it, it was like a light going off because I was, um, I actually talked to this guy. So the success of pundits like uh, Richard Spencer or Tim Pool or Nick Fuentes or Luke Ford is not according to merit, not according to clarity, not according to righteousness, not according to depth and profundity. It's according to how well you meet the needs of your audience. Tim Pool meets the needs of his audience for excitement and drama. Uh, Richard Spencer meets the needs of his audience for excitement and drama. It's just Richard's audience is about 20 average IQ points higher than Tim Pool's. Uh, Richard's audience is about 20 IQ points higher than David Dukes or Nick Fuentes, but they're still meeting the needs of an audience. It has nothing to do with merit. I did this huge, like, takedown of Temple, and, um, for the New York Times, actually. And, I, and he just, I think he called me, like, perfunctory. He's like, what do you know about it? I was like, well, you know, I met him in 2016. He interviewed me a few times. I, you know, I was like, I don't really have anything. But we kind of talked it out, and I, I don't know, he was kind of, like, working on his thesis or something. I might have even helped him to improve. But he said something that the light went off in my head, because I was like, it's so discouraging and just even depressing the fact that this guy who is just fucking talentless and he has no gift. So why does Richard find that so depressing? Like, it's never occurred to me to feel depressed by the success of Tim Pool. He's not someone that I turn to. But on occasion, he's done some good work. Like, I played a few minutes of one of his videos recently that was pretty good. But he's not a talentless hack. He's very talented, very hardworking, at meeting the needs of his audience. Now, when a hawker meets the needs of a client, all right, this is not necessarily something that's meritorious or righteous or holy or transcendent, right? It's meeting the needs of an audience. So sometimes business meets the needs of an audience and doing something that's good and meritorious, but there's no inherent connection between meeting the needs of your audience or being a business that dishes out goods and you know, dishing out something that's righteous and good. Right? Plenty of businesses you know, make money you know, selling toxic product. Yes, like he's, he's like, he, like on, the, on the intelligence scale, he's a five. On the looks scale, he's a five. On the charisma scale, he's maybe a zero. On the... Okay, Tim Pool is way above average in intelligence. He's got the ability to speak to the 100 IQ crowd, but he is not 100 IQ. He's probably in the 120s. Uh, any scale, you, 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 there's just nothing there. You know, Fuentes has a lot of charisma, and he's smart. Um, on the kind of like ideology scale or whatever, I think he's low. Like he, he doesn't get it, but like he has, you know, I understand why people want that. I can look at like a. T uh, Nick Fuentes doesn't get it. He gets what his audience wants to hear. He gets that very well. He gets it more effectively than any other pundit in his genre. And he gives it to them. He delivers. So, no, he doesn't have the philosophical depth of a PhD in philosophy or of a, a great intellectual. He, he's no Eric Hoffer, the longshoreman philosopher. But he is an entertainer and pundit who gives his audience what they want to hear. And even if it disgusts me, I kind of understand why this guy, you know, gets people to donate a hundred grand every Sunday. 
Tim Pool. I'm just mystified. I'm like, how could you possibly want to listen to this person? And he said, that's the secret to his success because all of the guys, and it's mostly guys who are listening to him, they're just like him. They're wearing a t-shirt and a beanie cap and they don't understand the world or the news and they have bad opinions that are reinforced and affirmed by this idiot. On top of that, he has the aesthetics of a tech bro. He does, yeah. And a kind of, uh, it's like a combination of a tech bro with a maybe kind of a working class little quality of that too. So, because yeah. he surely reaches more people outside of tech bros. But yeah, it's like some low-level coder or some guy who runs websites or or probably a working class person. But he just he's a mirror reflection of who they are. Oh my god, working class. And so that's the secret. And that's the kind of like, we've moved away from an authority figure and we've moved to a mirror reflection and how we consume news. Because, you know, he does meta-analysis, so he'll read news columns or stories on the air. So Rich is disgusted that someone who's working class and not aristocratic is successful and has gained an enormous following. Right? This is success, money, and following that really Richard feels belongs to him. Then he'll comment on them. But it's not like the people watching him are actually, like, they've read the New York Times or, or the Huff Post, and then they go to get his commentary on it. They're, they're not getting the actual story. Like, they're, they're getting the commentary, which is liberals are crazy, or whatever he's saying. And so you move from, like, Walter Cronkite or Tom Brokaw as the voice of God, or as the voice of your father, or your college professor, maybe, or your high school principal. Is it some male, older, gray-haired... Look, Walter Cronkite's show was aimed at an average audience with a 100 IQ. Like, network shows are aimed at an audi- average audience with an average IQ of 100. Uh, Tucker Carlson's show is probably aimed at an audience with an average IQ of 100 to 105. So, it's not like Walter Cronkite was aiming at an audience with an incredibly more elevated IQ than Tim Pool. A three figure. And you move to a mirror reflection of yourself. And you don't even bother with the action. Everyone's looking for a reflection of themselves. We're all looking to create a world around us that's most conducive to our thriving. Right? We all see the world not as it is, but as we are. News, you just go right in for the, like, dumbass take. <laughs> but that's a huge thing. The, the dumb take is what a lot of people want to hear. Right? People just want to hear that their side is awesome. Right? So that's meeting a need. He's meeting his audience's needs. Because more people listen to Tim Pool than certainly watch the nightly news by a factor of a thousand. Yeah, that's not true. Right? Several million people watch, uh, well, probably 10 million people watch the nightly news. That's a far bigger audience than what Tim Pool gets. It's like a new concept from the internet. Yeah. yeah. That's a depressing statistic. I mean, yeah, it's hugely example. depressing. He's a perfect example of being like... Why? Why is that depressing? Don't you know what 100 IQ people are like? What they want? You, you really expect 100 IQ people to seek out commentary that's aimed at a 125 IQ crowd? Like, how removed from reality, how delusional, how self-centered do you have to be to find any of this depressing? It's just reality. You know, like, how you could be a talentless hack and still, like, make a decent chunk of change, quite frankly. Like, I'm sure he's probably monetized this channel quite extensively. So, Oh, yeah. He stays on YouTube. He does it every day. He does hours a day. He does live streams. I mean, he, he... Yeah, he works hard. He meets his audience's needs. He, he produces material that people want to hear. And he's successful. 
I mean, one thing, one problem that I have is I, I do get kind of, I won't, I won't say bored with things, but like, I, I need to be stimulated in some other way, you know, like I don't. Yeah, smarter people, right, demand you know, smarter entertainment, smarter commentary, or they get bored. If I'm going to do a podcast, then I want to go and like do some editing or do some original writing, and then I want to go and like do something like this, which is freeform, and I get to think through things, and then I want to, you know, whatever. I mean, the idea of just doing the same crap like five, seven days a week is just, yeesh. Well, Richard could be producing a formidable intellectual body of work. Like he could be producing books. He's the intellectual that he thinks he is and says he is. If he's a serious thinker that he just self-describes, then why isn't he producing books and essays instead of tweets and podcasts? You know who Dr. Laura was, Richard? Dr. Lauren? The, Dr. Laura, the radio woman from the 90s? Yes, I do know her. She's been doing the same exact... She's still on SiriusXM every day, and she's been doing the exact same format for like 40 years. I cannot imagine how she's not bored of that. Yeah. Well, there's a certain type. Well, Dr. Laura deals with you know, basic human problems that haven't changed that much in 40 years. So I think she's very good at what she does. She has a knack for you know, cutting to the moral core of an issue. So, yeah, there's an evergreen demand for what Dr. Laura has to say, similar with a, with a Dennis Prager. Yeah, and, uh, I'm not that tiny. If I was in corporate America, I would be. So, yeah, people like Rich and people like myself, we, we're not content to hoe the same row. Right? We always have to be after new intellectual adventures. We're intellectual gigolos. We're falling in love with every beautiful idea that comes along, but ultimately stay loyal to none. Like quitting my job, starting companies, and, you know, moving on, and <laughs> whatever. That's just kind of how I am. Yeah, I'd be on Shark Tank. Um, Shark Tank. But I don't know. I, I don't know. Is there any more in this that we need to squeeze out? I have one disgusting comment, and that is, sure. uh, um, in the same way that um, pornography has been re-monetized through OnlyFans, um, I think uh, the news has been as well, because I think yeah. what happens with OnlyFans is that um, it offers a lot of men, you know, this bullshit parasocial, like, connection between content producers and themselves, you know. Why is it BS? Like, why is it any more BS? and all sorts of other transactional relationships. Like we all want to feel connected. We all want to feel alive. We all want to feel like we're living from the inside. We all want to feel strong and bonded. And uh, some people, they're so dysfunctional, or their life has turned in such a sad direction that they don't have access to normal human bonds. And so people turn for connection where they can get it. So some people turn to drugs and alcohol and you know, all sorts of uh, online entertainments. But uh, there's no way of living without connection. We're wired to connect. If you don't connect in a healthy way, you'll connect in dysfunctional ways. But for some people, like you know, live streams and podcasts, they're primary form of connection. It's better than no connection. You know, they're able to, like, direct message their virtual girlfriends and... Yeah. Uh, now they have assholes like Nick Fuentes and Tim Pool to like hang out. Why are Nick and, and Tim assholes? Like, when I was really lonely when I was going through chronic fatigue syndrome, like, I 
had a, you know, a virtual friendship with Dennis Prager. I'd listen to him on the radio every weekend. I called his show about 30 times. And that was the lifeline that I absolutely needed during very dark, lonely, scary times when I was in the grip of something that nobody seemed to understand, where my life had collapsed around me, where I had no strength, where I was spending 20 hours a day in bed, where I could see no path forward. And through my virtual parasocial connection with Dennis Prager, I was able to keep going and find a meaningful, happy, fulfilling life in Judaism, make a lot of friends in the Jewish community, become intellectually, socially, culturally absorbed in the the Jewish narrative. So often the, the parasocial relationship can lead to real relationships, real friendships, right? A lot of people have met from my live streams. They've employed each other. They've invested in each other. They've dated each other. Right? Just because you have parasocial relationships doesn't mean that you don't have the real thing. doesn't mean that the parasocial relationship never leads to the real thing. And I, I fail to see why listening to a podcast is somehow morally or intellectually inferior to you know, watching TV. This can be a good path forward. This can be a positive addition. I mean, I think it's just a matter of, like, monetizing parasocial relationships. Right. Because that, that is the thing. It's like... So why should parasocial relationships not be monetized? Like, does monetizing something defame it? Does it dirty it? Right? If you're meeting someone's needs for connection or guidance or wisdom or excitement or friendship or depth or wisdom or laughter or... If you're meeting someone's needs, then what's wrong with monetizing it? So we're here in Rosecutters Bay, Sydney, eastern suburbs. I got my cheap Oppo phone. I'm playing uh, some excerpts from uh, Richard Spencer's recent show on influencers. Like, you know, 20 years ago, um, newspapers and magazines were flying high. They were making huge profits, and even magazines... Uh, Newspapers started going into decline in the 1950s, and this decline accelerated dramatically in the 1990s, but really accelerated after about 2002. So newspapers as a business were only held together by the artificial mechanism of classified ads, right? Because the classified ads are primarily paid for newspapers and journalism. Journalism has rarely paid for itself. Things like GQ or Vogue or whatever. Every summer, they would they would put out a double issue that was probably like 500 pages or something. And it was like two-thirds advertisements, full-page advertisements. It, it, remarkable. Um, and they were making profit, you know, hand over fist. And um, so 20, you know... So what are the big news outlets in Australia? So Rupert Murdoch owns about two-thirds, about 70% of newspapers... Then there are three major networks, uh, Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10. And uh, now they're increasing streaming services, so I'm able to get all my sporting needs met here by KO Sports. It's an online streaming service, $25 a month. I can watch the NFL, watch baseball, basketball, etc. So uh, Rupert Murdoch influences disproportionate influence on the uh, news media in particular over here. And then Channel 9 was long the major TV network until it got slashed 
at the beginning of the aughts, after about 2002. Channel 9 got slashed to the bone. Uh, Channel 10 was always the third place TV network. So Channel 9 was the TV network aimed at, you know, the, the power players. It was number one. It was, you know, secretaries had big tits and wore high heels and its executives drove, you know, expensive cars and they had luscious offices. And when there'd be an advertising break during a Sunday night movie of the week, like the sewage department would be able to tell that you know, everyone was going to the bathroom and flushing. Right, so that's how dominant Channel 9 was. While Channel 7 was kind of aimed at a suburban audience, it was, it was more, it was more bogan. It was more, uh, you know, talking to each other with, with nicknames, you know, a bunch of blokes around at Barbie. And then Channel 10, what, what audience is Channel 10 aimed at? Is that aimed at the audience stuff? So Seven has become the number one network, as far as I know, in in the past 15 years. So they've been very successful at the the suburban audience. So Channel Seven, like they will encourage their guests to come on the morning show and and call call the host by their nicknames. Right, but what's what's the audience for for Channel 10? They used to run just a bunch of cheap reruns. Now, in the early 1990s, uh, all the three Australian networks were bought. So the Lowy family, who owned uh, shopping centers, what was the name of their shopping center? And also, uh, I think Frank Lowy, the, the patriarch, he tried to secure the, the World Cup for Australia. They had spent $40 million, but they weren't able to secure it went to Qatar <sighs> thinking about the, the major shopping centers that the, the Lowy family owned in mainly in California and Australia anyway the, the Lowy family bought Channel 10 and they, they spent big you know buying all, Westfield yeah Lowy family owns Westfield so in the early 90s they bought I think Channel 10 and then there was a new owner for Channel 9. And then there was this, this scam artist who bought Channel 7. And they all went bankrupt within a year or two. They dramatically increased how much money they were paying for American TV programming. Because Australia is a nation of 25 million. It can't, can't afford to fund all its own TV programming. So they have to buy most of their TV programming from America. And so when you got new owners, they went to America and they just paid exorbitant prices and so they all went <laughs> they all went broke and busted and they had to had to sell out yeah that was my pet dingo man that that dingo took my baby so i like the abc so the abc probably aims at an average iq of about 110 so it's the national broadcaster it's like the equivalent of pbs but more lavishly funded so i've been watching the australian tv comedy fisk which is about a woman in her 50s who gets hired at a probate law firm. Uh, SBS, yeah, a lot of good stuff on SBS. That's the multicultural broadcaster. So, But they have ads. So I really like ABC. There's no advertising. SBS is just a small amount of advertising. 
ABC is drawn by leftists. Well, it's drawn by elite. Yeah, it does does lean left, but it's much more intelligent than the commercial networks, which which dole out the pro feed, right? The, the Australian commercial networks probably aim at an average IQ of about 95. Well, I feel like the the average American TV network aims at an average IQ of 98 to 100. SBS used to air raunchy European movies at night. So even the public broadcasters, they still need to command an audience. But I think there's a lot of good stuff on the ABC. I'm trying to think of... Uh, they did a, a good dramatic series on the fires in Victoria. And... What was the... What was, they just did a series I watched about a girl gets out of prison after serving 10 years for manslaughter. Good-looking Sheila. And it goes back to her hometown where she's not too welcome. So I check out what's on the ABC, and then I go to IMDb to see what its ratings are. They did a good series newsreader about a TV station, I think, in, in Sydney and uh, the various newsreaders at the station. Ten years for manslaughter in this country? Yeah, well, I told you it's a, it's a fictional show on the ABC, right? So I think the average murder in the United States prior to the 1980s only served about six years. It's only once Republicans got into power, massively upped incarceration, that we managed to get a handle on the, on the crime rate. Okay, so why do people get so depressed about the success of talentless hacks, right? It's a lot easier to gain a large audience if you're aiming for an average IQ of 95. At the turn of the century, they were making huge profits during 9-11. Everyone was reading all this stuff. Then um, the internet broke through, and all of these local papers went under. The big boys kind of had enough institutional weight. But the newspapers went under because they had an artificial business model. Right? Their business model wasn't journalism. It was that they had the monopoly on classified ads. As soon as they lost that monopoly, they could no longer fund journalism. Right? So journalism is rarely paid for itself. The internet introduced more reality into the journalism business. Underbelly was a great TV series. I watched the first season twice. I've watched every episode of Underbelly. Seppo is, is short for septic tank, which is short for American. Oh, yeah, another big difference between British, Australian, and American TV is that in American TV, when someone does something bad, like do drugs or have irresponsible sex, they always get punished, usually in the same episode. But in British and Australian TV, they may not get punished at all, or it may not even happen that same season. So... American TV is much more moralistic. You know, if someone does something bad, they have to get punished right away in that episode. So American TV and movies much more optimistic. You know, many more happy endings. So British and Australian shows have you know, more of a fatalistic understanding of life. Monetize through subscriptions and things like that. But like, whenever I go to a local news article and they're like, you know, do you want to read this article for seven ninety nine, or do you want to sign up for? Like one ninety nine per month to read this paper. I'm just like, no, no, yeah, <laughs> you know? <fuck> no. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, and so they they're able. Like, how is that going to get monetized? Porn is another thing. Like, through not even before Pornhub, like you could just kind of find free porn. 
through various means. And so it was like, who's paying for this? Uh, well, people want connection. Right? People want connection with their, their favorite actresses, with their favorite pundits, with their favorite journalists, with their favorite rabbis. All right. So just getting free, free stuff on the internet doesn't always cut it. Um, and uh, yeah, but then like OnlyFans was able to remonetize it. And in the same way, like people talking about the news to you, um, if that is a also a way to monetize it. Yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable. The way of monetizing I mean, trust, essentially, and trust is right. Trust way. Yes, I mean, look, it's kind of what we're doing here. Let's also be brutally honest. But um, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to like. You guys can tell me to go in some direction. You're going to have to make a compelling argument. Like I, I am who I am, <laughs> and yeah, I'm not going to play to you guys or whatever. And um, you know, you can like it or dislike it. It's up to you. <laughs> I like to think this is more like a school. Oh, I was saying I like to think this is more like a school. But uh, on the topic of uh, people like Tim Pool, you know, a lot of dissident material has long been called uh, intellectual pornography. Sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly. Um, A lot of the so-called intellectual porn is actually um, factual and you know kept out of the mainstream. But I think that epithet really applies to people like Fuentes, but also people, especially people who are allowed in the mainstream, like Tim Pool, like. I don't know, Steven Crowder, Joe Rogan, et cetera, yes. because all they do is provide a certain emotion, which is kind of free-floating ressentiment, where yeah. you're never challenged. You never- right, so it, it's lowbrow hard on fuel. So, like, pornography delivers an immediate hit, and so when you call this stuff political pornography, right, you're just saying that it's, it's feeding into these resentments to these easy easily accessed emotions that people don't have to work for it. So with, with pornography, people don't have to work for, you know, understanding the narrative arc. I never have to assimilate new information. I mean, what this gives us is the hilarious irony that the Trump cult hates Trump's greatest achievement, which is the vaccine from Operation Warp Speed. Yes. Um, so, like, if you watch Tim Pool, and it, does, it will never be consistent because he doesn't have a world view. So, John Smith, you, you live in Australia. You thought you were blocked. No, I can see all your comments. So, how do you like living in Australia? Like, have you lived overseas? Uh, do, you, do you value living in a high-trust, highly cohesive society where most people feel like the government, for all its flaws, is on their side? Look, you watched him pool just to say, no, that's bullshit, man, for, like, every yeah. single thing that happens. Yes. I see that actually even further than that. I mean, I, I noticed that with, like, the crystal ball and in Jetty, like I don't watch them a lot. I remember watching them quite a bit during 2020. Hold on, one moment here. Come on, Richard. I'm trying to do a show. We sort here. of present them as some expert, like Joe Rogan. It's sort of weird though because he would have on. He'll have on Tulsi Gabbard. They don't have on like Peter. You know, buy my gold shekel, Schiff. It's like, dude, <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Like what? Like 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 what direction are you going in, man? Like well, also <laughs> to go to go back to this, the, the, the idea of free floating resentment. So much of it is like meta criticism. So what I was what I was talking about with Crystal and Sagar in Jetty. Yeah, you know, look, are they the worst? No, they're not the worst. And sometimes they'll have some pretty good takes and whatever. Um, I don't want to really totally throw them under the bus, but um, it, it just seems like the entirety of, like, what are they actually saying? What is your actual take? It is that cable news just isn't doing their job or, like, people don't trust the mainstream media. They're not telling, you know, and it's like, that, that's such a, it's, it's like a neutral, like, just kind of meaningless, <laughs> like, thesis. You know, like, it, it's, it, it's like, I, I don't know, it's like individualism or democracy. It's, it's like an empty ideal you know like the question isn't democracy but like what are you voting for 
or are you an individual okay like what does that mean you're a you're a pedophile or you are a poet you know there's a big difference both of those are individualist you know at some level right. so uh you know it's just this kind of like again free-floating resentment is probably the best way to describe it it's just we hate the institutions they're all they're not getting it right what do you actually say i mean the right. irony of like Sagar and jetty and crystal ball is that like i the value that i get from them is when they're kind of like giving me a pretty like mainstream <laughs> accurate assessment of a world <laughs> you know like you know it's like when they act like the news but it's just a little more friendly and accessible that's like when i gain value from them and when they kind of go deep into what they're all about it was like pass <laughs> and, anyway. and they don't provide any concrete solutions to anything it's just no. it's like it's like resentment porn is what it is yeah you know yeah. if you listen to Stephen, if you listen to Stephen brown he's like the stiffler of politics and like he has that same attitude and everything is um here's my slightly edgy but i'm actually here for the lol libertarian take and how wokeness will eventually fall because we're going to go back to a small government and a gold standard and that's the way we're going to do it boys like that's that is basically his bit in amongst the comedy routine yeah yeah those guys boil it down to homo economicus look we can only handle so much dissonance in our life right we all need comfort and if your life is chaotic then you're going to have a much more of a need for you know pre pre-masticated punditry right if if you're having a hard time with with life right you're going to need comfort wherever you can get it and so i think that's what's going on with with many people when it comes to their entertainment choices Blink sunglasses, we are not allowed to look in his eyes. <laughs> but I think, like, the more at ease you are with yourself, like, the more bonded you are to other people, because you're at ease with yourself, other people sense your ease, therefore they feel relaxed with you, therefore they can open up to you, you open up to other people, right? If you're functional, if you're navigating your way through life effectively, you have less need for external comfort, such as punditry that only fits with your prejudices right you're, you're more prepared to struggle in your choices of movies tv shows podcasts books right but if your life is a mess if you're filled with fear anxiety rage depression sadness then you can have much more of a need for comfort from your pundits and from your books and from your magazines and from your podcasts Right? If you haven't achieved the inner peace, then you'll try to mainline it artificially. And you won't be able to handle you know, a contrary perspective. It's like everything boils down to economics on the micro level, even in some capacity. It's sort of astounding, quite frankly. Um, or it's kind of like the, uh, we would get rid of um, the left as a social and political. Who knows? Yeah, it, it is. It, it is. Um, it is pretty meaningless. Um, at the end of the day, it is, is that power of that personality? Um, I uh, I don't understand how he doesn't. He's not repulsed by Candace Owens' personality like I am. Like politics aside, just listening to her talk, she is so unlikable to me. This, but no one else seems to see that. Well, I think everyone sees that. I mean, it's just the power for a certain segment of the audience. A black woman exactly. reiterating their talking points is just, you know, that it's, it, you might as well be showing them porn, 
Right, it's actually it's it's a huge part of it. Okay, so there's something for audience having there that we dare not speculate on. Yeah, everything. I don't know of a braver pundit in America today than Candace Owens. I mean, I think she's incredibly brave. Luke leaves the US before the big vote. Australia's his bug out boogaloo spot. <laughs> so there was a big, uh, big COVID outbreak in uh, Los Angeles right after I left. But uh, a lot of people trash Candace Owens. I think she's incredibly brave. She provides a lot of value as a pundit. I, 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 she, I put her in my top five of pundits along with Ann Coulter and uh, Tucker Carlson. Mickey Kaus. Also, it's interesting. She, I, I notice this whenever I'll see her. She straightened her hair, and she, she kind of is giving off a very strong white vibe. And I doubt she was doing that like five years ago. <laughs> no, I think that the way she talks, like this, this is what I hear every time she talks. She's, it's standard trite cliches of conservatism, and it's in that this voice, like the left can't stop losing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is really annoying. But but also, I, I saw this on um, again. I do kind of cursory research, but I think. I, I don't want to spend too much time on conservatives, but um, I remember when I was like looking into John Doyle, and I actually did listen to his entire thing on Russia, which he said three things for an hour and a half over and over again. Um, but he was interviewed by Candace Owens, like he was on, and all they were doing was reacting to libs of TikTok videos. So they, were, they just had them on, and they were showing these you know, crazy kindergarten teachers talking about Okay, so they're appealing to a 100 IQ audience. Uh, what do I think about Colin Liddell's insinuation that Richard Spencer is the Fed? I, I don't agree with it. But uh, it is interesting that Michael Edison Hayden, the, the gay Southern Poverty Law Center journalist and, and attack dog researcher, how protective he is of Richard Spencer. That, that's kind of weird. And implying that he knows things that other people don't know and that everyone should just lay off Richard Spencer. It's kind of weird that a Antifa lefty journalist like Michael Edison Hayden of the Southern Poverty Law Center is so protective of Richard Spencer. About gender and stuff like that. And like. I just can't believe this. Like, wow, get help, please. <laughs> it's like, okay. You know? that's, a, that's a huge part of it now. Is um, Matt Walsh, um, Ben Shapiro, they're doing reaction videos like they Matt Walsh is really funny, really smart, really talented, man. He's, uh, he's very clever, very funny. I know. 20-year-old virgin. Yes. Like and that's yes. exactly what you just said, Richard. And, but, yeah, all these retards are just slapping it up. Yeah. Well, why are these pundits like doing these like cringy things? Because they're trying to make a living. It's not easy making a living from punditry. Like journalism is rarely paid for itself. Punditry is rarely paid for itself. National Review, New Republic, never been financially sustainable, financially independent. They've always required subsidies. So people who want to make a living have to give an audience what it wants to hear. Right? Those those are just part of the, the the challenges of being in business and it's very similar because I, I imagine that that was at least in my experience that was coming from people doing entertainment um journalism you know like we're, you know th this huge genre is reacting to trailers and you know oh, like look if journalism has never paid for itself then you have to move outside of journalism if you want to get the funding to do journalism right if you want to get the funding to do journalism, you have to break the mold of journalism, step outside of journalism, and try to do things that are popular, that will get funding, that will then enable you to do the things you really want to do. Like the new Rise of Skywalker trailer just drops, like let me show you the Easter eggs or whatever. And then certainly like reviewing movies in this kind of reaction way. And 
I, I, it's kind of funny how that whole genre has kind of like moved into politics where yeah matt walsh like that's what he does he, he has a mm-hmm. matt walsh probably does have a basic worldview that's kind of yeah. protestant gold very gold water protestantism um but you know there's not a whole lot there but it's basically just like i think matt walsh is highly intelligent very skilled very funny uh like i think he's at absolute top of his game uh thumbs up to matt walsh um this young man, uh, his name is uh, Barry Nelson. Uh, he is a man, uh, born one, and he is now pretending to be a woman. And he is doing makeup material, makeup uh, tutorials on YouTube. And uh, this is what he has to say. And uh, he apparently thinks chromosomes don't exist. Well, that's uh, new to us. Uh, do you think you can define what a woman is? I'm not sure. You know, they just, you know, I could do this very generously. Look, Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, and Nick Fuentes, and. Tim Pool, they all have to make their living. They all try to make their living from their online efforts. Therefore, they have to pander to a lower IQ audience than Richard Spencer does, who's independently wealthy. Right? When you're independently wealthy, when you have independent financial support, when you don't depend upon maximizing your audience size, then you can afford to be more highbrow, to be more intellectually responsible. Right? It's a lot easier to do the right thing when you've got money in the bank. Right? When you're responsible for, say, the employment of dozens of people, which is the case with Ben Shapiro and other people at the, the Daily Wire, then you have to take that into consideration and do things that attract a large audience to keep that money flowing in. So you can't judge them by the same standards that you apply to yourself. But I notice Richard doing what something that I... I've long done is I always try to look at people through varying perspectives and like try to think, oh, through this angle I'm superior to this person. You know, through this angle I'm braver than this person. You know, from this angle I'm deeper than this person. You know, from from this angle I have more clarity than this person. You know, from this angle, you know, I'm telling tougher truths than this person's willing to say. Right? I, I think this is a universal human compulsion to favorably compare ourselves to others. And I think that I probably had it, you know, much more intensely than uh, the average person. Howard Stern in the 2010s went full into professional interviews. Yeah, I haven't heard much positive about Howard Stern in about 20 years. Seems to have lost his edge. Bye-bye. Today, May 40 here, so I was just listening to Richard Spencer's discussion on influences at about the one hour, 13 minute mark. He says that uh, when Elon Musk takes over Twitter, nothing will change. <laughs> nothing will change. I mean, Richard is tremendously entertaining. Now I appreciate that. He's a compelling character. And uh, let's have a look here at the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Man. My iPhone's not reacting as smoothly as I hoped. Anyway, he says, when Elon Musk takes over Twitter, nothing much will change. I don't think that prediction's going to hold up very well. I mean, Elon Musk has already laid off half of Twitter. Content moderation has been trashed. (laughs) Uh, Richard believes that Elon Musk is essentially a con man.
right? There's the Sydney Harbour Bridge. I've been walking around the bay trying to go from Circular Quay and the, the Opera House, seeing if I can make it to, what, Rose Bay, Watson's Bay. Walked about eight miles with uh, lots of periodic takes to offer my punditry. But, I mean, Richard you know, says that uh, Elon Musk is a con man, and I'm not denying that there may be elements of Elon Musk's operation that is a, a con game. But overall, this is the world's richest man because he has produced value, right? Tesla, people love their Teslas. Like Tesla is the most prestigious, valuable name in car manufacture, and that's the company that Elon Musk has, has run with, with great dedication. So how did Richard get the idea that uh, Elon Musk is a con man? He watched some videos. He watched some YouTube videos. That That's how he arrived at this perspective. He watched some YouTube videos. It's not because he read books on Elon Musk. He didn't read any academic articles on Elon Musk. He watched some YouTube videos. And then he just came to the conclusion that Elon Musk is a con man. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely reckless. But that's what makes him so compelling because he is so reckless he doesn't care right? he's not hamstrung by concerns about being true and right and good right? he is driven by saying what is compelling and edgy what will grab your attention he is a higher IQ version of Tim Pool and Nick Fuentes and Ben Shapiro right? It's an attention-seeking, drama-seeking, theatrical presentation, which I find tremendously you know, compelling. I enjoy listening to Richard, but it's just absolutely reckless, right? To say Elon Musk's Twitter is not going to change. When Elon Musk takes over Twitter, it's not going to change. That Elon Musk is essentially a con man. That his whole empire is based on lies and deceit. And that pretty much all his businesses are just con games. And he comes to all this based on some anti-Elon Musk videos on YouTube. So not based on books, not based on academic articles, right? Not based on insights from people he knows and trusts. He watched some videos. I will state definitively, obviously, Elon Musk Twitter is going to be dramatically different. It's already dramatically different. Elon Musk didn't get to be the world's like richest man by being a con man. Right? There's substance there. He's built up incredibly valuable properties. G'day mate, 40 here. So listening to a little bit more here from Richard Spencer and company. And it reminds me how many people, when they get red, they want to make a, a charge of the light brigade online. Remember, the charge of the light brigade was from a war in Crimea, Crimea in the 1850s, where the British light brigade was just mown down by the, the, their opponents, I think the Russians. And it was a futile 
charge, just like Pickett's charge during the American Civil War. Uh, absolutely futile. The men just got decimated. Now, a lot of romantic poetry and song has been written up around the charge of these you know, futile but, but brave men. And I notice a lot of people, when they get red-pilled, that they want to make you know, their own light brigade charge. Right? They, they just want to do it online. And it uh, doesn't, doesn't tend to turn out well. The first well. person I'm thinking about who's coming back, Jared Taylor. What kind of impact might Jared Taylor make? Ultimately, one big question, how far could you go on, say, Holocaust revisionism? Like, do you, like where is the line going to be for serious intellectual work? I mean, like, I don't know if you're asking Richard, but I mean, I kind of have a response to that. Go for um, it. Sure. So, I mean, like, I mean, it was a recent episode. I know we have our criticisms of... They're like trying to fight like a meme war, and like this unfeedable meme is Anne Frank basically. And basically, like she just represents like victimhood. And every time they try to fight her, she just goes like, and then they 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 they, they skinned up faces off, and basically she tells something that obviously is dubious in its veracity. But and then like when she says it, it's like everyone just stops fighting and starts crying. And the whole point of that, like the analogy there, is that like. Like, they're not beating us in the battlefield, they're beating us in strength. They're, they, they've, they've hijacked our moral... Okay, so you have to be an incredible loser to, to make, you know, Holocaust revisionism your thing in the sense that Holocaust revisionism is not about, you know, revisionism. It's about, you know, denial of one of the, you know, best documented... ...history. Like, if, if that's really your thing, you're a loser. But these guys are growing spiritually here, right? Listen to this. They're going to talk about how participating in this Richard Spencer Substack call. It's the October 27 Influences edition. They think they're growing spiritually. ...moral and mythical system, and therefore, like, they're getting us to kind of self-disarm. And, and, and they've gotten us to believe that being the oppressor and being the overdog is wrong. And so, um, anyway, now, but at the end of that episode, he wins, like, finally, by, and, like, there's just an awesome line. Like, he says, like, look, I don't care about the Holocaust. And, like, for a while, like, they tried to do Holocaust revisionism. Oh, I remember yeah. that what TRS was doing for a while. That's like, really Holocaust revisionism. And I thought, I mean, this was even pre-apologism. And I just thought, I was like, man, this is such a really, I don't know about this part. But, like, finally, at the end of the episode of Murdoch, Murdoch, like, the guy goes, listen, I don't care if the Holocaust happened. For all I care about, it needs to happen. But you're not going to... So they think this is winning. <laughs> like, like how, how deep of a loser do you have to be to think that by discounting some genocide that you're winning? that your group is winning by discounting, you know, a major, well-documented genocide. You're not going to tell me that I should blah, blah, and essentially, like, it kind of becomes like, yeah, I'm a fucking badass Aryan, I don't care. Right. Do you know? So these guys think they're badass, right? These guys are mounting their own charge of the light brigade <laughs> online, just absolutely futile, you know, destroying their lives, destroying the lives of a lot of other people, like, for, for no good yeah, reason. Like, get like, like, learn how to hang or go get bent. So yeah. the whole point is, like, with this kind of Twitter thing, and it reminds me of the Kanye thing, too. I was talking to some friends in the DR about Kanye, too, and they're all like, look, I know it's black, I know, but it's really good, this is how it can help us. And, like, there's not going to be any easy ways out. And, like, I told them, like, the, 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 the Kanye thing, and now you that, and it's sort of like what I would say, what you said, you know, about Twitter. It's like, look, what if you had a friend or, like, a brother or someone who was close to you who was just a deadbeat, and he didn't have a job, and he was just behind on his bill, and he was a total deadbeat, you knew that he really needed to get some discipline, get some motivation, start taking care of his own life, right? He was pushing off people, pushing off you, and he was just really sorry, bum, right? And all of a sudden, one day you learn he, he has a scratch-off ticket and he wins, like, 50000 in a lottery. Not, like, millions that would really change his life, but 50000 that would give him a short-term boost, but not really change his problems and, and like, like, not really address the situation in a deep way. You'd be happy for him. 
you know, it's kind of be like, oh, fuck, man. Like, Ron, you know, you won this lottery. Now you think all your problems are solved. And really, it's like, you really need to get in your issues. We just go make some money. That's how it is. So, remember, this is what they think is growing spiritually. Is with, like, I feel like with Kanye and with what you're saying on Twitter. Because it's like, yeah, like, maybe it might help us in the short term. It's nice to see baby boomers that, like, because a black guy said it, now they're starting to talk about Jews. But does that really address the root of the So, I mean, how many people do they really think, you know, Kanye is persuading or waking up for red seeing this Kanye West episode and thinking, oh, this is really the path forward. You know, now the, the light through, the light of truth. Right? Overwhelmingly, people who pay any attention to the West episode think, you know, what a bunch of losers. Anyone who says what Kanye West is saying is a loser. The problem. That's going to be the upshot. black rapper to talk about some of the truths to get them to say it. I mean, like, really, like, the fact that that's even working is kind of underscoring the main problem because the reason... Right, so to deny that uh, what Kanye West is doing is working is to you know is to just miss out on the the deeper truths they're listening to him is because he's like a, a like a victim and victim gives you status in the current moral paradigm in the minds of white people and you know so the- kanye west victimhood it's not going to be terribly persuasive to very many people all right they're going to think he's a loser just a stone-cold loser so like 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 they're like the moral center of everything and really we just need to get to a point where you know it's like look like um like, 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 like we sympathize with the oppressor and kind of the overdog and the winner. And right. sometimes you're going to want to with the overdog. Sometimes you're going to sympathize with the underdog. No dog is inherently righteous or right or you always want to sympathize with. So we're at Darling Point right now here in, by the Sydney Harbour. So Darling Point, very expensive property. It's very posh neighborhood here in Sydney's eastern suburbs. And uh, let me get a little bit more from this delusional conversation. It was just so funny. This guy thinks he's, he's growing spiritually here by p- participating in this discussion, by getting into Apolloism. Somehow that's growing spiritually. Wouldn't you know it? What's wrong with my phone? Here we go. Right. I think, like, 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 like thinking that we're going to find cheat codes, like, yeah, having the message come from um, a black guy who's part of the press class, or getting on Twitter and it's right, you know, like, these are kind of like easy ways out, and we're not going to be able to take the easy way out. I think that we need to work on ourselves and on our race, like, spiritually. Um, and that's a long-term project. That's what we're doing here. But that, yeah, that's kind of. I mean, I know that's I mean, what they're doing here. We're working no, no, on ourselves. I, 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 I don't know. Race. Um, yeah, you know. Richard's co-signing everything he just said. Like that whole delusional rant, right? About how Kanye is breaking through with important truths, and we're working on ourselves spiritually and on our race spiritually. Like Richard just said he co-signed everything you just said you know it's, it's also there, there's another element to it as well I, I i think i saw a black nationalist say this and he was like i don't like it when kanye is losing money you know like kanye lost his adidas kanye is losing right? he lost his confrontation he's lost a billion dollars right how disconnected from reality would you have to be to think that in this occasion kanye is winning now it is possible to lose a billion dollars and be winning right donald trump probably probably lost, you know, a billion dollars, two billion dollars by becoming president of the United States. I just don't think in this instance, Kanye losing a billion is, is a win. 
Like, who thinks this is a win? Uh, and, I, I, and I'm sure he's made millions in the music industry, but I, I really think this Adidas thing is huge. It was uh, 12 to 10% of, like, Adidas's revenue stream. It was just some insane thing like that. So the, the Yeezy or Yeezy brand or whatever it is. And um, so he, he is going to lose, like, a lot of money. And he was like, and the Black Nationalist was like, I, I don't like these people, like, saying, oh, he's a martyr. He's giving it all up for the truth or something. He's like, well, you, he, he was making kind of, like, a power play, basically. He was just saying, I, I want Kanye to be super rich. So well, that's do more. What? Was that Tariq Lashid? Yeah, it might have been him. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much exactly what he did, losing $2 billion to own the Jews. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you kind of do screw things up when you envelop. You know, again, I, I knew that there, everyone knows that there are a lot of Jews in the music industry. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and you've now enveloped that just, like, obvious truth with all of this just weird shit. And yeah. I, I don't think it's a good thing at all. Like, I don't think anyone is more enlightened now or something. Wait. It's sort of fascinating how this this guy has been financially. I mean, he's a wealthy guy. I mean, his lifestyle's not going to be effective. He's effectively been banked and financially cashed just in terms of yeah. business interests. Wait, Bridget just said the opposite. First, he said he co-signed what he said. Then he said, obviously, Kanye lost his confrontation. So Richard seems to be all over the place in his reaction. But just the delusional rant about how they're growing spiritually and their race is growing spiritually from these conversations about Holocaust revisionism and Jewish power is delusional. If your focus is on the flaws of our groups, I, I don't think you're growing spiritually or becoming more effective. I mean, it's sort of insane. Like, at, at this point, if I was Kanye West, I would just like align with the Nation of Islam or something. Because at least these people have attorneys and they know how yeah. to like, deal. They can sort yeah, of Nation of Islam. Sort of Bunch of winners. Like publicly yeah. in a better way. Like, if I would say, if I would go along with I know he's a Christian and or let me be at this point I'd be like fuck I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for this like, <laughs> one, thing I, one thing I would say though um, remember he's, he's according to Kanye he's manic depressive and he's clearly in a manic phase right now if, if we assume that that's a correct diagnosis he's clearly in a manic yeah he's in a manic phase and that is followed by a depressive episode so I, I still would not be surprised if we get two months of groveling out of him it's, um, Richard, remember when I was saying the point that this is the right this is about the replacement theory is not so much that the media is saying it is or isn't happening, but it, that it matters that it's happening, and that's the right. part that's why they're attacking you. It's kind of similar to that with saying everybody knows that there's a lot of Jews in the media or the music industry. So why do many people like, launch into these suicidal online online you know, destruction, right, when they have so many good things in their lives? themselves and i think it's because many people feel you know tremendous fear that their lives are insignificant and so people are reaching out searching for a way to anchor their lives into something significant and so by going on some kind of online jihad to spread the red pill that that's going to provide the significance that if you can feed people's need to feel important to matter to be attached to something transcendent Right, then you've got something powerful. People get a taste of you know, basic truths that are denied by the media, and then they think everything they're told is a lie, and so then they go on an online jihad to red pill the normies, and they destroy their, their lives. It's, uh, I think it's a terribly productive path forward, but rather than condemn it, what I really want to do is just get clarity on it. I think it is underlain, underlied, underlaid by a tremendous need for significance. They might think that, or they might know that, but they think it doesn't matter that they're Jewish. And that's yes. the part that you're attaching value or meaning or mattering to it, that there's a Jewish agenda. That is the part they are disputing, not that just right. the fact that there are there. Right. right. 
But it's up to Kanye to articulate what that agenda is outside of they've screwed me over. Because that's what I basically heard from him on the Jews. And when he goes into big picture talk, he is declaring that he is a Jew. And he's the Africans of the blood of Christ. I mean, this is what his philosophy is or his theology yeah. or whatever. But they're, but, they're terrified that he but, might be. Yeah. It's a variation on we was Kang. It's like the Hebrew version, right? Yes, Jesus, that's yeah. a good point. But, yeah. black they're, terrified, they're terrified that he might, just him bringing that stuff up at all will get other people like us or regular normies. Oh, like I, I get it. I get it. Talking yeah. About it. Yeah. Well, and I think in some ways they're right. I mean, you, you do kind of open the dam a bit. And, you know, I've I, I said this like multiple times. I, I, I think they're gonna be, there's going to be more of this. There are going to be more Kanye's in the future. I don't think they're going to be fewer. Despite the fact that he has lost you know, half of his wealth or whatever it is, it, it's like it's kind of weirdly opening the dam. You know, it's like we, we do have these kind of weird politicians now. There's Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about space lasers. There's Warren Bober talking about an imminent apocalypse. There's Mastriano, who seems to be like he's going on gab. You know, it, it's, it's going to get kind of weirder. And I guess my challenge, and you could call me cynical or whatever, but it, it's like weirder is not better. Like that, that whole Overton window thing, just get rid of that. <laughs> You know, well, like, that goes back to kind of get worse. Like, in some ways, like, I would rather, you know, I have more respect for Mitt Romney than I do for Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, like, I would almost rather someone like that be in charge than these, like, insane goofballs who would actually kind of make things worse. Richard, I'll say just real real quick, I mean, like, um, what what the um, previous speaker mentioned about, sorry about the background noise, I'm I'm out here, but, like, um, you know, like, that gets to the whole heart of the matter, like, when the black nationalist says, you know, I want Kanye to have... Wait, Richard wants to get rid of the whole Overton window thing? The Overton window is an incredibly powerful insight into how the world works. Like, why on earth would you want to get rid of it? Like, he's so overdosed on talking about the Overton window. It's like, people swing from extreme to extreme, so they may overdose on the Overton window, and then, should I catch this ferry or not? All right. Here, let's see if I can show it. Right, here comes the ferry, picking picking me up at Darling Point, take me back to Circular Quay, jump on light rail. Don't you love the public transport we have here, folks? Beautiful. But yeah, people swing from extreme to extreme. Overton Window is an incredibly powerful idea. That the Overton Window refers to those ideas that are publicly acceptable and those ideas that aren't. That's a powerful idea. Richard just wants to get rid of the Overton window because he's seen the damage and the harm done when people take it too far. Right? But you can take any good thing too far. You can drink too much water. You can get too much exercise. You can love too much. You can be too religious. You can eat too much. You can have too much sex. Right? You can be too wrapped up in your spouse or your kids. Right, there are all sorts of good things that you can take too far. The idea of just dismissing them. Right. That seems crazy to me. Why would you do that?